Hi, John. Thank you very much for joining me today on my podcast. And uh, maybe also for the listeners who don't know you, who are you? What do you do? Do you have a LinkedIn account? Uh, what do you work as? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I do have a LinkedIn account. Um, not very good at going through the requests, though. I'm a little bit behind there. Um, but I work as a product evangelist at Amplitude. And so as a product evangelist, I focus on coaching our customers and future customers, um, both with our product, but also the broader picture of product. Um, so it's kind of an interesting job, a lot of one-on-one time with product leaders. So that's fun. Um, I also write some of our playbooks and other things. I have a background in product management and UX research, and then like business analyst. I worked at investment bank for a little while. I worked at a TV network, Nickelodeon, but then I also had some time playing music. Um, and then the fun fact, I had a video game company and we had a bartending game called Last Call. And so if you want to see how bad that game was, it's actually, it's bad and good at the same time. You can go to YouTube and just type Last Call Bartending and yeah. you can see like a video game circa, you know, 2000, um, a commercial flop, but it was uh, a cult hit at the time, or at least that's, or at least that's how I persuade amazed. myself that it's a cult hit. <laughs> yeah, I'm absolutely amazed. So for, I learned two things about you now. You work for Nickelodeon, which is a show that I watched, and yeah. uh, you had a game. That's amazing. All right. Uh, maybe also like a couple of words to myself. My name is Leah. I um, I produce amazing products at SmallPDF, which is a document uh, management platform, and I also coach others to lift them up and um, also also help organize scale ups as they're going through the transformation from startup to scale up to bigger. And the connection to you was that, like I think for a year or so, you started to appear in my uh, LinkedIn feed. I think. Uh, one of the things that I really appreciated about you, and also I'm happy why we are talking today, is that you're one of the very few that has a lot to say that is not copy-paste. I think <laughs> you're very engaged with your job. I think you must be in love with it. <laughs> or, yeah. um, and it's very interesting to see your takes because they're also not standard cookie cutter stuff, right? And I really, really appreciate that. And I also took some of your stuff that is also very highly specialized sometimes. We even created some of the domain strategy for for our company with um, oh, some of the things. I actually shared it with you. I think you know what I'm talking about, like a half yep. a year ago. So that was always very interesting. Maybe the most recent thing, I just posted about it as well today. There's a, there's a debate going on between Slack and Teams. Um, some people yeah. are posting, you know, uh, graphs how teams have beaten Slack and the fight is over. Is it over, John? Depends what game you're playing. <laughs> As a product, I, I'm the I'm the it depends person. So that's kind of a I'm a professional it depends person. Um, it's so funny when you look at that though, because but back to that game of what game the people are playing extends also to the whole company, you know, what game is that particular company playing? And so the fascinating thing to me about the debates with those particular things is how quickly people forget what they're even talking about. You know, so this was posted, this chart of like active users. And again, I'm, I'm just sort of a purist, like what was that chart meant to indicate? <laughs> is, is because a line goes over another line that one is a better product or maybe it was a better product strategy? Um, certainly, Microsoft has a tradition of finding things, um, 
you know, maybe it's going to be Notion next or probably whiteboards or it's going to be Miro or it's going to be this whole long tail of things. They have just a tradition of doing that and they have a certain moat that they have dealing with. They have a certain distribution channel for these products doing it. So is it a surprise to anyone that Microsoft will then have, suddenly have more active users? I think what's kind of important to that is what's the slack, the, the correct strategy, the correct question there would be is what job is Slack doing for Salesforce? That's the correct comparison. So what is the game Salesforce is playing? What is the game Microsoft is playing? And then what role is Slack playing in Salesforce's game? And then what role is Teams playing in Microsoft's game to do that? So that's the correct comparison. I'd be interesting to see when we reframe it that way, what, what do you think are we actually looking at when we reframe the question that way? Yeah, I 100% I agree with everything that you said. I think it's also like you can compare vanity metrics all day, like how many users it has, how many installs something has. Like, I think Microsoft could put Notepad into enterprises if they wanted to, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, for all I care in that sense, and they would have more users. Um, I think Teams is a, is, a, is a good enough product. and But what people sometimes forget is, is that Microsoft can really push their stuff into their distribution model. It enters into the enterprise and then they're pushing it down market. As you said, I also predicted Notion is next um, <laughs> because Microsoft actually announced that they're going to build a competitor to this. Um, it's not because Microsoft is, uh, is is the evil of the world, but that's just how it is, right? Like they copy a product yeah. and then they, they, they solve this distribution size with their immense reach. I mean, that's part of their business model anyways, right? Right. Um, yeah, so not a lot of disagreement there, I think. <laughs> not a lot. I, I think the interesting thing, though, to anyone who's listening is sort of a student of product. Asking that question, what game am I actually looking at playing out here? I think the other thing, too, the, the trouble with this is a lot of people, Slack was the canonical example of certain product-led growth motions. I remember the first time Slack caught hold in a company I was at at the time, and it literally was exactly like the story. Develop, you know, developer looked at like hip chat or whatever. And it's like, this is this cool thing. And like, there's something kind of different about it. I'm just going to set it up. They didn't really talk to leadership or man suddenly there was Slack and they were doing this thing. And it was exactly like the story. It was exactly like how we have this sort of mythical PLG motion and you could see it play out in organizations yeah. that you did. Um, I think the interesting part of that is that some people became so enamored with that story that they sort of forgot that these things always exist in a larger ecosystem of products, you know? So, so when people, I think this is more about people's deep connection to Slack as a particular story, which probably once the acquisition was there sort of took on another twist altogether. Yeah. And then people's also deep connection to whatever they want to say about Microsoft. Like people hate teams or some people do, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I've even said, like, I wouldn't work at a company if I had to use Teams. But, you know, if it was the right company and the right person talked to me, like, you know, the world, the world wouldn't end to do that. Yeah. So I just think yeah, it's very absolutely. interesting. Yeah. If you're a student, of, if you're getting into product, it's very useful to study these stories and mm -hmm. go past the kind of memes or, you know, these one-off things to learn. Um, yeah, 100% agree. And I think also it's important to understand that exactly because of Slack's story and how they actually got into this mass market low right. LTV, high amounts of, you know, like getting into startups, into the small companies, that's perfect for PLG. That does not work right. in an enterprise market, of course. And right. um, as I said, I mean, Microsoft is not PLG in that sense. They also shouldn't, right? They push this over their right. sales and then they go downwards. 
Um, yeah. These are also fundamentally two different products. Teams is also being used as a replacement for Meet. They they right. they compete with Google and so forth. But yeah, I think people are mixing up a lot of stuff here. Um, it's still an interesting discussion, and I really love your take on it as well. Um, really try to understand what it I'll is. I try to disagree with you about something, but yeah, with that one. No, 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 go ahead. Disagreement is great. Go ahead. Bring it. <laughs> Agreement is good. Um, yeah, so I think in the end, I totally agree that we have to understand why things are happening. This is the same with any framework that we are teaching, as simple as it may be. If you understand why you're doing it, like to create alignment or to do this and that, then you can apply it to your team and also to your right. company in the, big, in the bigger sense. This goes from a PM to a product leader to the CPO. In the end, right. that's, just, that's just how it works. All right, cool. Yeah, no, that's a good take. Um, maybe let's just do, to an adjacent topic, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, my tech portfolio took a hit in the last year of about 60 to 70%. <laughs> and I, yep. think, I think it also, yeah, it also <laughs> had an effect um, on the, on the job market. Now you're working in the U S um, I'm working in a Swiss company. So I guess we had different perspectives. What happened to in, in your, or like in your perspective, what happened? Um, what was the effect on you, your work on amplitude, like your, maybe also your hiring, like what was the effect of this recent, let's call it a crash, right? Yeah. Uh, or correction? Well, for us, um, there might have been like a mild slowdown in hiring, but we're, interestingly, historically, analytics products actually do well in a downturn. Mm. <laughs> you can go almost back to something like Omniture, or you can go back to various products. And the reason there is that there tends to be an increased level of discipline um, you know, there's two, there's two basic responses. The one is just freak out and throw your hands up. And then the other, you know, there's other companies who realize that they need to get some level of discipline about the bets that they're making. And so from an analytics perspective, and then personally from the company, you were obviously cautious about it because it could impact our customers in different ways. And so yeah. we need to be very receptive and we're, we need to be there for our customers basically. Um, and that could mean working with them with pricing or thinking about how contracts are structured or we need to be there for our customers in, in troubled times like this. But as a company ourself, you know, the thesis remains the same. Um, and so, you know, individually as a company, yes, there's impacts to it, but maybe not the same as other companies. I think one fascinating, there's a couple dynamics here related to layoffs that I think are interesting is there are companies that were super stressed early on during the pandemic that were forced to actually get super focused about what they were doing, mm -hmm. get super rigorous and disciplined about what they were doing. And you, you see that for them, this is a little bit of a blip, but they kind of, they, they felt this pain a lot earlier than other companies. Now there are other companies that actually, and across the board, it doesn't matter whether you're dealing with plumbers or whether you're dealing with uh, collaboration products or you were dealing with anything, there's a whole other group of companies that e experience this sort of unnatural lift where it's kind of unsure yeah. what's working, what's helping. Um, remote's here to stay, or maybe it's not here to stay or doing these things. And I think that those tend to be the companies that got a little ahead of their skis. And so you're starting to see these sort of corrections and these layoffs to do things. I don't claim to be like a you know labor specialist or anything. But that, that's the main observation is that companies, there is a constant pendulum swing between discipline and growth. 
And ideally you have disciplined growth. If we were to do a two by two and you had disciplined and undisciplined and kind of growing and retrenching, ideally there is this level of disciplined growth. But I think it's safe to say that the swing for many companies is swinging back to a disciplined level of growth to do that. And so I think that that's kind of the macro trend there. And so- Yeah, you're just seeing the sort of the the macro forces ring out the situation in certain companies. And so hopefully as a company, we stay stable through this and then help other companies sort of figure out their way. Yeah. So I would say I agree agree with most of this and also mainly this ties a little bit back also into product-led growth because it's one of the most cost-efficient ways to actually do acquisition (laughs) on the users, right? So um, I was advising a company a year ago that had maybe eight months of runway left before this tech correction actually came and they were very, very sales led. And, uh, you know, it was like high time. Okay, guys, we need to do something. Right. And, um, this is a very good example of when you need to restructure your acquisition. I mean, we're not doing product like growth because it's cost effective, but that's one right. of the effects. Right. But like, it also helps us to, um, to find the best solutions for the problems that we're trying to uncover. And then another effect of PLG, if you assume that it is good for you and the company is, is that because you now need to measure everything, as you said, analytics companies will profit in a downturn from this, or they will get hit less because that's the way to success. If you don't measure your stuff, right? Yeah, but this is what it is, right? Like if you don't measure, you're going to lose. It's just what it is. What's a disciplined level. I think this is, someone asked me earlier today, what is a defining trait of product-led X? No. And I tend to not try to get pulled down into the particular distinctions of things. But what I was basically saying is discipline and systems thinking. No. So the, I, I was trying to explain to them that as a product manager who has sort of growth tendencies, I said, the null hypothesis is just how I come to work. Like, I'm assuming nothing I'm doing is working. <laughs> I'm assuming that nothing I'm doing, I'm assuming everything I'm doing, anything that wins is just a short-term blip and not good in the long term. Yeah. I'm assuming, so I go in with this null hypothesis. And I think the danger of that is, is that during this upswing, even if you had that discipline, it was easy to start believing yourself, believing the lies that you were telling yourself about these things. Not just big lies, but just little lies, like a lot of little lies later on top of each other. You're telling yourself that. So, you know, yes, they seem to be having trouble in the product, but, you know, they're hanging out. So there must be some good signal there, you know, so you start telling yourself things. And I think that that, you know, for the best growth folks, that's the, it, it, I call it being a prag, an optimist and a pessimist at the same time. It's like a pessimist or an opt, uh, pessimist, right? That, like you, you have to, you have to be good at both of these particular things. And, yeah. and that's why, especially in a downturn or things, you know, someone like me, I was kind of like, well, I was pretty pessimistic about the upturn anyway, <laughs> you know? So like, <laughs> So I don't know if that tells you something more about me or about growth PM in general, but like, I think no, that but like, sort of I mean, mindset. <laughs> but, but if you allow me to say something, right. So like one of the, one of the key differences between a senior PM and a junior PM is, is that when something really good happens, the junior PM is like, yay. And the yeah. senior is like, hold on the data, <laughs> something is wrong. This cannot yeah, be true. Some, we, this, this can't. Yeah. And then you find it in two seconds and you're the jerk, <laughs> you know, like when you find yeah, exactly. but, but I think that, you know, related to analytics products and stuff is that, you know, I was trying to explain it to someone today too, that the difference between thinking in terms of like stateless relationship with the user or thinking in terms of sessions or thinking in terms of, 
that's really why products like Amplitude exist to like record mm-hmm. every single event and attribute it towards a user from the moment they first encounter your brand somewhere all the way to years later when they've upsold and they've bought new parts of your product. It's really about like, because all of that data is important. Whereas if you think about any product that thinks in terms of a session, if you're an e-commerce thing that doesn't have a loyalty component or anything, it really is fine to think in terms of session by session. You think yeah. Customer and I'll sell them stuff. So I think that this type, that's why this type of thinking is super important in this downturn, because there's a lot of conflating signals. Why did yeah. they buy a year ago? Was it just that they had money and were experimenting with products or are they really legit building their business off of that? That's when your behavior in your product is super important yeah. because that makes a big difference, obviously. Yeah. And I think, I think the only thing that I would expand to this is that if you're a successful company and you already have some kind of growth acquisition funnel, you still need to defend what you've already built. Right. And in a downturn, you're really going to feel that um, yeah. because I think this was a great take, I think, from Casey Winters. I'm not I think it was him that said that. But like it, sometimes teams forget that it's not just growth. Yeah. It's not just like, OK, we're going to add a little bit of growth on top of it. You need to right. monitor what you have already. Is it still working? Is the market changing? And yep. all this upwind that we had from COVID is at some point also going away, probably. Right. And right. um yeah, but that's that's the only addition here, I guess. But uh, yeah, I think I think I agree. And it with relates the to jobs, and it relates to. I think that you you see the yeah. job. I think the one thing I would say, noticing here in the states, and this is more of like a philosophical thing, is I think it it just makes a huge difference to the team when leaders truly own up to their assumptions, own up to how they saw the market, and. It's it's as opposed to sort of making an excuse for the situation. There's a big difference between a leader saying like, well, you know, the downturn X, Y, this, this is why I'm having to do it. And then the leaders who yeah. take full responsibility, you know, like I, I was responsible for understanding macro trends. Like we made a number of bets in this upturn, knowing that potentially we might see the other side of this. Some yeah. things worked, some things didn't. And then as a side effect to this, I'm going to support you into your next roles, but you know, we have to do some layoffs. I think that it's the true test of a leader. And I think many of these leaders have not had to do this for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because everything was not had this muscle. They've (laughs) not had to build this muscle for 10 years. And I think that it's a true test, you know, of leaders. um, And and you see this a lot on LinkedIn and other things, how people respond to the situation I've noticed Mm -hmm. is a little different. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think it's very visible how things are going actually in the States because LinkedIn is very Americanized in that sense, yeah. at least also for, for, for our feed. Yeah. An interesting trend that I actually saw happening when you compare the labor market from the US to, to what we see in Europe is that it doesn't feel like it hit Europe as hard as it hit the States. And there's a couple of variables that are different in mm. our markets that we have. This does not apply to all of the European countries, but some of them. First mm. of all, we tend to have longer tenures per product manager, for instance, right? The base salaries are much, much lower than in the States and our cancellation periods. So like when you say, like, I want to not work here anymore are infinitely longer. Like we, it takes for Like if I quit my job now, I'm going to leave the company on the 1st of December. So like wow. three months, right? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Every American is like, wow. Oh my God. Wow. And like, and I have five weeks of holidays. There's another wow. Right. Yeah. And this is the thing, like. There are conditions also in the job market that are different. And one of the biggest problems for us hiring product managers, even though we pay competitive salaries, 
um, was that Google has its biggest office just right over there, you know? <laughs> so, and they pay good, right? They pay American yeah. salaries and they pay very well. So they pay sometimes two, 300% more. And this was very difficult for us also because we're not paying bad in any sense. It's just that all the top talent is being, you know, hired away also by Google. Interesting. Well, so different motion. So, sounds like different you know, things happening in Europe for sure. Yeah, well, absolutely. 100%. I mean, we also have successful products. <laughs> I just want to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, the conditions are also quite different, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, either way. Um, cool. So maybe also this is kind of the opposite. Is there some trends that you enjoy about tech or like product management at the moment that you are excited about, like that you, uh, where you think it's going to end up, I don't know, in five, 10 years? What I, there's two, a couple things that I think are amazing. One, um, just yesterday I spoke to maybe four platform PMs. Mm -hmm. And the thing I kept trying to remind them is they think they read these books, they read this stuff and they say, um, I, I, I understand all this, but I can't immediately relate to it. And they imagine that someone's has this all figured out in the world. They imagine that there's this secret school of platform product management that everyone's been to and that they just haven't been there. And then I have to tell them that that's not true. Actually, it's really difficult. And as someone, you know, so the idea that uh, I was for a year, not for a long time, I was the search product manager at Zendesk. So this is a bit of a platform internally. It's literally another level of three-dimensional chess that you're playing. And so many of these organizations, as a rule, some of the fastest moving um, companies with the aligned autonomy for the teams and all those things do so based off of the efforts of many of their platforms that they have. And I mean platform in a loose sense, you know, ranging from design systems to you know, developer experience platforms or anything to do that. So I, it, it would seem like it's odd because I'm very much in this product angle and why am I super curious about the platform stuff happening in organizations. But the number one reason is it's the superpower that underpins a lot of these companies you look at and you think, well, how do they have that level of aligned autonomy? And yeah, it's yeah. about, you know, you could say you're empowered, you know, and sprinkle the magic pixie dust on the team. <laughs> But in many of them, it's actually because of the work of their platform teams, developer experience teams, design systems teams, teams that move the data around for people, teams that think about the plumbing, people think about all the stuff that won't happen. And it's, I think it's a really fascinating thing. And I think actually in the next, you know, just as we'll see as years progress, we'll see these companies, we'll see much more, you know, like whole conferences even for platform product management whole conferences no. for people thinking about architecting these systems. Um, it's yeah. not that architecture didn't happen before, but the idea that the architects and the platform teams are building internal products, how to apply that thinking. So that's number one. It's very exciting. Yeah. And it overlaps Amplitude a little bit because some of our biggest, most passionate fans are actually like a head of data or head of analytics that has the big picture in their mind. And they're saying, you know, I don't want my team writing 400 line SQL queries for a retention curve. Like, why would I ever want that? <laughs> so we're going to, yeah, like who wants to build that product to get that out there to do it? Yeah. So that's one. I think that the, this is going to sound funny, but the evolution of the PLG and the growth space mm -hmm. to kind of, I'm going to say that it, in some sense, it might even start to overlap what we'd call like service design, but thinking of your yeah. whole company as a product. 
Yeah. I find that very, very fascinating. So the ability to kind of have people who understand the product palette, so like the tool chest, you know, they think about behavioral psychology, they think about data, they think about experimentation, they think about content, they think about those things. But it's similar in a sense to the platform idea, but like applying that view to the whole company. Yeah. How many companies do you see that you have these really experienced engineers working on the customer-facing stuff, and meanwhile, someone in customer success can barely get one report to show the health of a customer? Yeah. It's like, it's crazy. Yeah. So I see 100%. kind of an evolution in that space that it won't matter as much whether it's product-led sales or customer success or product-led marketing, but it's more applying this tool chest. Yeah. across the company to think of the whole company as a product. And yeah. I'm very fascinated by that too. It's sort of, I, I mean, it fits my way of thinking. So I'm biased to like it, but that combined with the product stuff, I think is where you're going to see these next level things, because in truth, a lot of the companies that people admire, even Silicon Valley, they're kind of driving in data circles and there's not necessarily like a super continuity in B2B, especially continuity across all the different touch points, yeah. which is ironic because they laugh at big companies or big enterprises and say, ha ha ha, we, we ship products way faster than you. But sometimes those bigger companies actually pay more attention to the end to end experience. Oh, of course. Yeah. Than the other thing, than these other companies. So I, so those are some areas that are particularly interesting to me kind of, Thinking of your yeah. whole company as a product, service design, thinking about applying all these practices across the, the journey. And then the yeah. second thing is particularly platform product management mm -hmm. and how that can superpower, you know, supercharge the teams doing all this work, uh, you know, the yeah. customer facing work. Those are two things that I love uh, really into at the moment. I think... Um... I think those are really both exciting as well. And I think in, in particularly in regards to platform PMs, there's, there's, there's good news as with every product manager job, you cannot get any certification to make your job better. It's not going to help you in recruiting. Um, the bad news is, is that I hold a relatively controversial opinion in that you need to have some specific soft skills that are very, very hard to learn. Mm. Um, and that goes almost for every product manager, but platform PMs are probably one of the most demanding oh, jobs. Product yeah, I mean, you're having right? to talk to internal people. You're having to talk yeah, yeah. to the people working next to you. Like talk about yeah, hard exactly. saying no, you know, yeah, yeah. and then also the stakeholder. Yeah. It, there, there's yeah, a exactly. whole, and many of them never didn't get a chance to learn that. So they were working as yeah. a developer or engineer on something and they really know the technology. And then someone says, oh, we're adopting a product model for our different platforms. Why yeah. don't you be the PM? That's hard. Yeah. A lot of those people are having to learn so fast on the job, like it's incredibly difficult. So I think that's like yeah. an unmet need at the moment in terms of... Absolutely. Thinking. And I think also I had a discussion with someone today about POs and I think that product owners are a big mistake in the industry in the sense because yeah. it's very hard for them to even switch to a PM role, even like imagine from PO to platform product manager. Um, you're coming from this very directive, I need to organize a backlog in the way that I was being told to. And... Um, yeah. This is very, very difficult in a career to pivot afterwards. I just wanted to touch on maybe one thing that you also said that I also think is very important when people talk about product-led, like mm. product-led X, as you call it. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of companies are very good in focusing on the customer outside, but they forget themselves inside. So I mm. very much resonate with this. Like when you create internal solutions, and I can tell you an example from 
we need a new data tool, right? <laughs> um, one of the OKRs was we deploy a new data tool. This is this is as output driven as you can get. You, there, there was no asking of like, how do the PMs use it? How does this happen and so <laughs> forth? And yeah, we laugh about it, you know, but like it gets forgotten, right? You, you, you can also put, you can also scale your company product led by paying attention right. to how people are using stuff, how our process is actually um, scaling in the end. And I think what's for me really exciting to, to segue into this as well. So I also answered the question is that I think as a product manager, you have a unique chance right now to pull together sales, marketing right. Right. in a way, would you say, right? But like yeah. we pull them together and integrate them with product management so much that it's mm. not just sales is being measured on the amount of, uh, quotas they have marketing is measured on on the amount of top of the funnel it's not that easy anymore right so like we can really integrate them and actually i mean product marketing did not exist for the longest time right right like product marketing teams and this is something that i'm very excited about because now it reaches into b2b product-led sales I don't know, like I'm working in a B2B, in a, in a B2C SaaS platform. <laughs> so I have right. no business being there, <laughs> but the companies that I do advise, they are from B2B and it's very, very exciting. You have even sometimes hardware robotics companies that are creating the craziest well, product. Yeah, that's the and, thing that gets me. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Sorry, like, no, no, yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm just going to finish and, it. and then you can go. But like, no, but uh, you know, these, these robotics companies, they, they offer their robots as a service. So what that does is you need heavy funding. There's no more bootstrapping, of course, right? Because you need to right. get into these uh, financial terms. But you have such a big competitive advantage to whatever out there is in the market. There's no risk. Hey, you know, use our robot for X amount of um, dollars per month. And uh, here you go. That's it. That is product that, that, that is product led by nature. We, we yeah. really yeah. deliver value continuously to the customer. And if we don't, then we die. Go ahead. No, the, the, the thing at Amplitude, especially we've had a couple posts where I took a stab at product-led, then I took a stab at product-led growth, and, and no. I actually have to help my team sometimes internally untangle all these particular things. But frankly, even in the last month or year, um, the number of large companies, like at Amplitude, one of the in most interesting stories we have is Anheuser-Busch created like one of the world's largest B2B marketplaces out of thin air in South America to go and like make sure that places can order liquor and order things that happen. And I think as the story goes yeah. is that they actually built, by doing that, they created this whole logistics network that mm -hmm. could be used for other things, like for example, vaccines or other things that need to get moved around that. And so what one thing that really excites me about, I get equally excited by this thing is that... <laughs> Will it manifest as a free trial all the time or anything like that? Probably not in many of these cases. But a great example is like these companies that do, um, you know, sign up at this time for your product coach to meet and talk to you um, about it. Um, using technology to teach people internally. How yeah. crazy is that? Like, you know, we have a bunch of SDRs at Amplitude and we're constantly thinking about how to use technology so that they can be better advisors and less sort of... Yeah hey, I saw you were on LinkedIn and then write you a message like that. So what's exciting about that is that once, you, once your imagination gets sparked, that like, hey, we're using, the way that I view it is you're using design, data, and technology mm -hmm. to create sources of differentiated sustainable growth. Yeah. 
And that's yeah. what it is. So I think that I like that the distinction between product led versus PLG, that once you think about product led as the sort of palette of tools that you can use, and it doesn't really matter, it's not a title necessarily, it's not yeah. a particular group, then you start to get all sorts of imagination. So that, for example, the the Anheuser-Busch, like part of that tool is just an internal tool. It's just what they're giving their employees to be more effective. Some and of the best tools external. were created like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then there's a customer-facing angle to that. So I think that that's, um, yeah. you know, that's just a fascinating way, hopefully inspiring for people to think about. Uh, it's a lot's going to happen in the next 10 years of just applying these practices in ever more yeah. interesting ways and you'll start yeah. to see the the breaking of the silos of the tools you know so something yeah. like salesforce you know goes in with sales and then maybe gets a bit of marketing but and you know they'll try as much as they can but they're having trouble extending out to these other groups but you also see new products emerge i think amplitude yeah. will be effective in this environment so yeah there's yeah. a bunch going on yeah no i 100 agree and i think what's going to be interesting is that companies like salesforce need to adapt to this because what they're got what's going to happen is is that they're going to be they kind of take at the moment refuge in the enterprise market because the enterprise really traditionally have problems going into this product-led growth space. Mm. You know, you have a hard time. I mean, the requirements are just different. It's very hard for you to adapt a new product. It needs to have yeah. pure integrations. You need to have security. It's not just about whether you can get a product, but it needs to also tune into the asset management tool that you already have. And so forth. Yeah. reporting needs to be hooked into whatever data system that you yeah. have and whatever data warehouse, right? So, I still believe that at some point these questions will be solved because right. we already see a trend of where the buyer and the user in businesses and enterprises is getting much, much closer because also right. enterprises right. finally got the message. It's not about, oh, you have $150,000 per quarter, spend it on something. Um, <laughs> it's more like, hey, if you have a good initiative, just you know bring it and we give you the money. That's how it should be, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, so maybe because we only have a couple of minutes left, um, if, if that's okay, let's just go to a more lighthearted topic in that sense. Because okay, yeah. <laughs> I have a story that I wanted to share with you because it's so far back now that we can actually talk about it. Um, okay. It's more of about a, like like an epic meltdown. So sometimes when you look on the outside and you look at people like, uh, I don't know, people that can talk like you and me, then you think like, oh, you know, they have everything under control. <laughs> the company is running great. <laughs> Nothing's going wrong. These companies are successful because everything is sort of going well. And then sometimes people forget that um, you know, oftentimes we just have complete meltdowns of the infrastructure, which is like <laughs> the complete, the, the, the site goes down, you know, a release just wrecks everything, whatever. And um, um, I will ask you after my anecdote, like whether you also have, have, have an example of something like this that happened. But I can tell you that two years ago, we were 26 people. Today we are 140, right? Wow. And one of the things is that we started, we use Slack all, all the time like forever. So one of the effects of Slack is that nobody checked our emails anymore. You know, like info with small PDF, nobody's checking it anymore. <laughs> now, if you have a certificate for your website, they're going to send you reminders if it runs out a month before or a, a week before or whatever, but nobody is checking the emails anymore. So we go on an offsite. Our website went, goes down. <laughs> we hear about it from angry customers over support. Hey, the website is down and we are on canoes on a lake. This is, this is an actual <laughs> true story. So Max, hi Max, um, had to actually fix and reissue a certificate while he was on a canoe on a lake over a hotspot. And the website was down, I don't know, for how many hours. And if you have 20 million users every month on your website, that hurts. 
And it's just like, <laughs> and this happens all the time. It's just such a circus sometimes. Do you have an anecdote that you can also share? Because oh, I mean, the funny, I mean, maybe I'll share this, but I, I, it's, it's a little less of like a catastrophic story, but if it makes people mm-hmm. feel better about particular things, yeah, you know, I remember for a particular time at Zendesk when it was related to search, like we, we were, it was just chaos. Like things, <laughs> things would happen and, and then you would wonder, you know, this is, it's, it's actually kind of a funny story, but it's related to this. It's like one day they came in and someone said, normally a chart that never had any movement in it suddenly had a dip, it went up yeah. and, and, we didn't really have like the visibility to know exactly what happened at that point. Like we knew something had happened, but not exactly what had happened. And it turned out that, that Uber was using the search API to basically get <laughs> ticket, to get ticket exports. Like there was a ticket export API, yeah. but it didn't have all the fields that it needed to. And so like that particular blip was Uber like pulling tens of millions of, people basically using the search API. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's a funny story because you go in, you know, you think, okay, all these companies have it all figured out and to doing these things. And then, you know, often you're in this situation with many of these services that you walk in one day and you think you've got observability and you think about that. And you don't. And you don't, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you're like, why did that chart go up? You know, <laughs> I don't know. That's the story I was thinking about this morning, how funny it was, you know, at that time. Um, <laughs> Just, just people looking at it and just saying, "Well, I, I don't know. I mean, the chart never did that before. Something must." Be yeah. Going <laughs> and then you have these meetings of really smart people sitting together, like, yeah, like I don't know. I, said, I don't know. So, yeah. when do we fire these events? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's yeah, like everybody exactly. goes back. Hey, John, have we documented it? <laughs> no, I think we nope. forgot about it. No, no, that it. Yeah, don't know. Yeah, can't. Yeah, we are not measuring that way, that endpoint. We're not prepared for that. You know, to do those yeah. Type of things. So, yeah. If exactly. anything, that makes people feel better about things. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. That some like, yeah, um, yeah. We talk a lot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> shit happens all the time. Yeah. All right, let's close it here. Thank you very much, John. Yeah, my um, pleasure. And yeah, good luck with the podcast. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. And yeah, it was fun. great. And I will put it up. 